In this lesson, we will conclude our lesson on leases by discussing enforceability. Now, when we began this particular section on leases and the discussion on the formalities required, you would note that we considered the fact that a lease allows two or more parties to enjoy the benefits of an estate. As such, there are two specific types of owners, the freeholder or the landlord in this case, and the leaseholder. There are several benefits and burdens which run with both types of owners. Now, in terms of the freeholder, the benefit is that he receives rents and reversions, whereas the leaseholder benefits from exclusive possession of the property and occupation as well. Conversely, in terms of the burden, the freeholder has to uh, let go of exclusive possession, so he loses exclusive possession, and the leaseholder in turn has to pay rent. Now, during the lease period, while it is in operation, both the freeholder and the leaseholder can sell and transfer their lease as well. So the ownership can change between the time it starts and the time it ends. There are several covenants running with the land and uh, during our previous lesson where we considered part two of leases in terms of creation and termination. Now these covenants have various effects on land but primarily the effect of a covenant is that a third party may be liable on it and can enforce it as well. Have a look at the Spencer case which is available in your case summaries which deals with a particular leaseholder assigning his lease to another and the effect that has on the third party. It's a very important and a seminal case available in your case summary, so I urge you to have a look at it to see the effect that a covenant has on a third party in relation to it running with the land. Now, considering enforceability of the covenants in relation to leases proper, we have to differentiate it as pre-1996 and post-1996. Moreover, this division, this distinction, must be also discussed in relation to the assignee of the lease and the assignee of the reversion. In terms of the assignee of the lease, pre-1996, both benefits and burdens of a covenant would pass if, firstly, the covenants touch and concern the land. Remember, these are related to proprietary rights. Secondly, there must be privity of estate. Both parties or multiple parties must be party to the estate. Now, post-1996, however, all benefits and burdens pass on and there is no need to touch and concern land. In relation to the assignee of reversion, pre-1996, the benefits and the burdens will pass on assignment of the reversion and the assignee becomes the only person entitled to sue. Now, this is a very important distinction that you must remember. Post-1996, however, they are released from all liability except where there is an authorized guarantee agreement. This AGA or authorized guarantee agreement will be discussed towards the latter part of this concluding section on leases. Now, what does this touch and concern land component uh, in relation to enforceability of leases mean? Quite simply, it stipulates that covenants which affect nature, quality or value of the lease property of the leased land would be considered 
as touching and concerning the land. But there must be a sufficiently close connection between the covenant and the leased land. The covenant must affect the very nature and the quality as well as affect the value of the land in question. So what exactly can we consider as touching and concerning land? Rent affects the land. Not to assign without the landlord's consent is connected with the quality and the nature of the land itself. The supply of premises with water absolutely connects with the land. It gives the land a particular value, which increases literally the value. And not to build on adjoining land. Once again, right of way, right of light, all of these things matter. Uh, and it concerns the land itself. So these particular items which I mentioned, pay, payment of rent, not assigning without the landlord's consent, supply of water, not to build on adjoining land, all of these covenants, all of these aspects touch and concern land. However, what has been held not to touch and concern land, as was seminally held in Huachia and Shopio, hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it's available in your case summary, so I urge you to have a look at it, is that landlord's covenant to repay the deposit at the end of the lease does not touch and concern land. Now, two reasons can be seen why this is. Firstly, uh, it doesn't really affect the nature, quality or value of the land. And secondly, this refers to something which is done at the end of the lease period, which means the lease obligations have now almost concluded. Before we proceed to the next few sections, we need to have a quick outline of the concept of privity of estate. Something I mentioned uh, earlier in relation to enforceability of covenants pre-1996 in relation to the assignee of the lease. So if you are unclear, uh, I urge you to just quickly rewind this particular uh, video and have a look at that. But basically, the privity of a state outlines that when one party assigns their interest, the new relationship that's built arises between the assignee and the original party. So usually in contracts, privity means that a contract can exist only between the parties who have entered into it. So third parties do not have a say in it. But in relation to proprietary rights and specifically property law, when uh, one party assigns or when one party transfers ownership to another, whatever agreements, some, in most cases, whatever agreements that the original party had with now the non-existent party may be applicable in terms of the third party that has taken over ownership or has the new assignment. So here, when one party assigns their interest, a new relationship arises between the assignee and the original party. So in relation to enforceability of covenants against subleases, you can see that there is no privity of contract and no privity of estate between the landlord and the subtenant. And the subtenant can only sue if there is a restrictive covenant and he's constrained by it, as was held in Talc and Moxey, a very seminal and important case that I urge you to have a look at, available in your case summaries. And the original tenant's lease contains some sort of forfeiture clause, which, if enforced, the subtenant's lease becomes forfeited. It's not an area that's affected by uh, the LTCA of 1995, but it's quite important because this is a quick departure from the usual aspects of contracts. And privity of estate is something which is somewhat difficult to or perplexing to understand and correlate 
with our usual uh, understanding of contractual law and uh, proprietary rights. Now, the best example of this uh, and a very important case that you have to look at in order to understand this concept of privity of estate is London Diocesan Fund and Avonridge. Uh, this is available in quite detail in the case summaries, so I urge you to have a look at it in order to understand privity of estate. But basically, in a nutshell, uh, the case itself purported to a tenant uh, who had a 99-year lease at 16700 a year. He granted six subleases, and then he assigned his head lease, as in A, assigned his head lease to P. So when P failed to pay rent, the landlord, as in the freeholder, forfeited the lease, which ultimately affected those six subleases. So it's a chain of events that happened and a good example of the concept of privity of estate. So have a look at that. Now, we considered earlier, and I mentioned that towards the latter part of uh, this topic, that we will consider authorized guarantee agreements. So that's what we're going to do right now. We spoke about privity of estate and how it can bind a third party. But where there is an authorized guarantee agreement that is in place, what it ultimately does is it protects certain parties. So let me elaborate. Firstly, you have a landlord that leases to the original tenant, who then assigns his lease to a new assignee. Now, where an authorized guarantee agreement is in place, this document is signed between the landlord and the original tenant, which specifies that the new tenant will pay rent or the old tenant will be held liable. So technically, uh, the privity of estate concept goes that the landlord and the new assignee has a contractual agreement or, or a lease in place now. However, where the new assignee does not pay his rent or does not pay the required consideration, an authorized guarantee agreement when in place, means that the original tenant will be liable for that non-payment of rent. That was an outline and conclusion in relation to leases, specifically focusing on enforceability. Now, leases is quite an extensive topic, and it's something that you can't specifically go through within a few hours. So I urge you to go through your uh, subject guides, your literature, whatever provided by your university. This is a quick overview and a bird's eye picture of what to understand and to get a better uh, exposition of leases before you go into the subject proper and perhaps even before you sit for your examinations. In the next lesson, we will have a look at another interesting aspect of property law, which are easements.